Well, not one of us has ever lived through a time quite like this, have we? Perhaps the closest thing to this in our country was the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918-19. These are indeed strange times. And for those of us in Christ, it is another opportunity for us to trust our God and to see God bring good out of tragedy. It is a kingdom opportunity for us to love people. And so those two phrases, those two commands from the Lord, trust God, love people. Those will be our bywords, our keywords during this time. Trust God, love people. In fact, wherever you are, would you say those with me right now? Trust God, love people. Now, the extreme levels of fear that we're seeing everywhere began with the coronavirus, but they now extend to the stock market, the economy, the threat of job layoffs. And there are so many questions swirling around the atmosphere and swirling around in our minds. How bad will this pandemic get and how long will it last? How long will everything be disrupted? Will these measures that we are taking, will they really flatten the curve and help us beat back this virus? Will I get sick or will some of my family members, loved ones get sick? Lots of questions. But for those of us in Christ, we add a couple of other questions. How does God want me to respond during this crisis? And how can I be used to love people for Christ's sake? And we know that God's message to us, trust God, love people. Let me briefly explain to you, church, why we have canceled our services and other ministry events for the time being, other ministry events on our campus. This decision was made out of love for people, not fear of the virus, period. We want to be team players with our city and others around the globe. We want to do our part to fight the spread of this disease, and we understand that not meeting together in large groups may help this. And so we want to be team players. We are doing this out of love for our neighbors. We want to protect our neighbors. We want to do our part to help stop the spread of the coronavirus. At this point, suspending services is the responsible thing to do, and I believe the compassionate thing to do. Everything that we do during this crisis, church, will be out of trust in the Lord and love for people, not out of fear. Trust the Lord, love people. Furthermore, Church, we recognize there is tons of fear out there. There, are, there is so much fear, especially by those who don't know Christ, but unfortunately by many who do know Christ. And we do not want to respond with arrogance and condescension to those who are fear-ridden. We don't want to respond with a critical spirit. What God is saying to me these days, Jeff, no critical spirit. You love your neighbor. You love people. We want to respond with the humility and the love of Jesus Christ during this time. We do not know how long our services and other ministry events on our campus will be suspended. Please be watching our website, and we'll be sending out updates through our various social media. Now, this morning, church, I want to give us a biblical overview, a biblical perspective in times like this, because we want to think biblically. We want to think Christianly during this time. 
And I have five essential biblical truths for living in a time of the coronavirus. Five truths from the Bible about living in a time of the coronavirus. Number one, know that God is God. Psalm 46.10 I read earlier. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Church, God is the sovereign God. He reigns over all. He rules over all. God is in charge of the universe, not a virus, not the government, not the CDC. Be still and know that I am God. Know that he is the sovereign, almighty, infinite God who's the king over all. We know that every page of the Bible either assumes or states that Jesus Christ is king, that he's Lord. We just stated it in the Lord's Prayer when we prayed, your kingdom come. This assumes that God is king. We also prayed at the end of that prayer, Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so, make no mistake, God is God. God is king. To say that God is God and God is king means that God knows what's going to happen with this virus. Nobody else knows, but God knows. It means that God is in control, not a microbe. It means that we need not fear the future because God is on his throne. So the first principle, the first biblical truth for living in a time of the coronavirus is know that God is God. Number two, do not be surprised or disheartened by the tragedy and suffering of life. Suffering is part of life in a fallen, bent world. The Bible teaches us that the fall of man in Genesis 3 affected the whole planet and the entire creation is still groaning under sin. We do not live in the paradise of Eden anymore. We do not live in heaven yet. We live on earth, a post-fall, sin-soaked, pain-filled earth. And in a bent world, we expect all kinds of pain, suffering, trials, and disasters, including the flu virus. We expect it. In John 16, on the night that Jesus would be arrested and he would begin the brutal ordeal of the crucifixion, he says to his closest disciples to expect suffering and pain in the world. John 16, 33. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, this is our posture for the coronavirus crisis. This is God's word to you and to me. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. C.S. Lewis wrote a fascinating essay in 1948 when there was so much fear in England about the atomic bomb. In fact, many of us are old enough to remember what it was like to grow up in a age of fear about an atomic bomb striking. 
This is what Lewis wrote about it. He said, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accident, accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death in a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. He concludes, they may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And as Lewis reminds us, we do live in a world of sin, fear, and suffering. But as we just saw in John 16, Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Jesus defeated sin, death, and Satan on the cross. One day he returns and he makes everything new. The kingdom, his kingdom, will come in its fullness. No more pain, no more tears, no more death, no more disease, no more coronavirus. But not yet. This world is not your home. Heaven is your home. Heaven is our home. All of the suffering in life reminds us of our need for a Savior and that He came to die for us. And if you've never trusted Him as your Savior, do so now. I beg you, do so now. Breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, my whole trust is in you. You who died on the cross for my sin. Lord, I trust you. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's your heart, if that's your prayer, he just saved you. He just saved you. Principle number two, truth number two. Do not be surprised or disheartened by the tragedy and suffering of life. Truth number three, God will be faithful to us every step of the way. God is not only sovereign, but he is good and faithful in all of his ways. The world is bent, sin-wracked, unfair, but God is faithful and true. Never confuse God with the world. The world is unfair, but God is fair. The world can be evil, but God is good. We suffer because of a broken and bent world. Now, as a church, God has brought us through every crisis we've ever faced, including 9-11, 2008, 
the global recession and Hurricane Ike together in the fall of 08 at the worst possible time for us as we were moving onto this campus, or with Hurricane Harvey when our campus flooded, every other crisis, and God will be faithful to us during this crisis. Moreover, God will bring good out of every pain we ever suffer. Romans 8, 28 is the truth we cling to. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now that's a remarkable promise. All things, He will bring good out of it? Wow, what a promise, what a God. Now think with me, what was the worst sin in history? Well, it was the murder of Jesus Christ by sinful men. Did not God bring good out of that worst of all sins? Oh, yes. Jesus won our salvation when he died on the cross for our sin. The greatest sin in history, and God brought the greatest good out of it. In the same way, church, God will bring good out of this pandemic. By the way, we never judge our Father's love by our health or by the economy or any other pain or problem. We judge and determine our Father's love for us by a blood-stained cross. Because of the cross, we know that our God loves us and we know that God is faithful and true. We expect trials, but we know God is faithful and true. So truth number three to hang on to, God will be faithful to us every step of the way. Truth four. Because God is faithful, we can trust Him. You know, the book of Lamentations is a book full of wailing, mourning, and grieving. The name of the book is Lamentations. But in the midst of this morose book is a burst of sunlight in chapter 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Not only can we trust our faithful God, but He is the only one that we can trust. Christ alone will never let us down, not the economy, not the U.S. government or any government, not the Center for Disease Control, but God alone. Put your trust in God alone. Now, trust does not mean that we will understand all that God does or all that God allows. He is the inscrutable, incomprehensible, infinite God. But trusting Him means that we will trust Him when we don't understand. As God tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make, your straight, straight, and he will make straight your paths. Church, at the end of our lives, we will find that God has been faithful to every one of us every step of the way. Right now, this life is the only time in all of eternity that we can live by faith and trust our God. This is the only time in all eternity that we can fight the battle of faith. So this is our time. In heaven we will live by, by sight, not by faith. But this is our opportunity to trust our God right now. Right now. In 1736, John and Charles Wesley sailed to America as Anglican missionaries. Interestingly, 
they did not yet know the Lord. A company of Moravian immigrants were also on the vessel. And if you're familiar with the Moravians, what people of prayer, what people of, of a heart for the world, what people who love Jesus. Well, these Moravians, during a terrible storm, all of those on the ship faced the very real danger of shipwreck. And John Wesley wrote these words in his journal. He said, at seven, I went to see the Germans, that is the Moravians. I had long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior. Of their humility, they had given a continual proof by performing these servile offices for the other passengers, which none of the English would undertake, for which they desired and would receive no pay, saying it was good for their proud hearts. And their loving Savior had done more for them. And every day, he continues to write it, every day they had given them occasion of showing a meekness which no injury could move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away, but no complaint was found in their mouth. Here was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear as well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. In the midst of the psalm wherewith the service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sang on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. That is so good. That is so good. Our women and children are not afraid to die. We are not afraid to die because death for the believer means that we go to the immediate presence of God. We go to our real home in heaven, and it will be so good. Church, because God is faithful, we can trust him. We can be full of faith because God is faithful. Claim specific promises during times like this. Promises like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and Romans 8, 28, stand on them. Truth 4, because God is faithful, we can trust Him. One more. Truth 5, this coronavirus is a splendid kingdom opportunity. Every crisis is a God opportunity. To refer again to C.S. Lewis, during World War II in Britain, he remarked how the great advantage of a tragedy like World War is that it causes people to think about death and therefore think about their need for God. And the same thing will happen during this coronavirus pandemic. We will be reminded, all of us throughout the world, that life is fragile, that medical science is limited, that money is fleeting, that jobs may be transient, that the whole world is fragile, and that only God is a solid foundation. In Christ alone we stand. In Christ alone. Church, this is our opportunity to bring hope to the world. That's our mission statement. Remember, love Jesus, journey together, bring hope, bring hope to the world. This is our opportunity. We have been praying for revival in Houston. 
We have been praying for Houston to become a city of God. This is our opportunity to see God work like never before. This is our time for the church to be the church like never before. This is our time to live out the parable of the Good Samaritan like never before, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the time for us like never before to serve, to care, to give, to pray, to reach out, and to focus on others like the Moravians. Even in servile ways, it will be good for our pride. Church, this is the time for us to love somebody. Last, the fourth point, trust God. The fifth point, love people. So how can we seize this opportunity, this great kingdom opportunity, church? Well, first of all, we need to be alert to serve people all around us. Be alert to love people all around us. Or there's some elderly people around you, maybe on your street, maybe in your apartment complex. Some elderly people that you can go to the store for them or ask if you can serve them in any way. What about prayer walking your neighborhood? One of our journey groups I know was doing that yesterday. Part of the journey group was out walking their neighborhood. What if you went, maybe you and your spouse or just you, maybe what if you went to every house systematically on your street this week and asked each one of them for one prayer request and told them that for the next 30 days, I'm going to be praying every day for this. Maybe you could ask folks around you that you run into or bump into how you could pray for them and pray right then. Perhaps you will have the occasion to invite neighbors to your home for dinner, but be alert for God opportunities. Be especially alert to the people that God will bring into your life during these days. Be alert to the needy people around you. Be especially alert to pray for people and with people. Pray that God, let's pray that God would use this tragedy to help make Houston a real city of God. This may be our time to see breakthrough. It has been well said, when God wants to do a great work, He first sets His people to pray. And God is setting us to pray. We have already begun the 40-day prayer challenge. Great timing by God. Truth number five, this coronavirus, this coronavirus is a splendid kingdom opportunity. So church, that's it. That's the biblical perspective. The bottom line, you know it, trust God and love people. Trust God love people. Church, this is the time for us to be the church. Five truths to hold on to. Know that God is God. Do not be surprised or disheartened by the tragedy and the suffering of life. God will be faithful to us every step of the way. Because God is faithful, we can trust Him. This coronavirus is a splendid kingdom opportunity to love people. Pray with me, church. Lord, we love you because you're our God and because you are good and because you are great and because you have first loved us and because of a blood-stained cross and because of free overflowing grace, because of all of these things and a billion more things, Lord God, we love you back and we want to love you more. Lord, we want to love you more. Lord, I pray for every single person at Woods Edge and every person watching now 
participating in this online church service. Be with them. Protect them. Heal them. Bless them. Draw them. Be with everyone. Oh God, we pray in the strong name of our Savior. Amen.